Eco-modernism is a chance to have a coalition in the defense of science and against the appeal to nature fallacy, which is the root of all of this. That is like anything that's natural is automatically good and what's not natural is automatically bad. It's a logical fallacy. I mean, I think we know that. But I, I mean, I think that eco-modernism offers the opportunity to have a coalition of forces. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective addressing important societal issues. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, what's an eco-modernist? Today I'm going to interview Gabriel Ignetti, author of the Eco-Modernist podcast. Gabriel contacted me for an interview after discovering my podcast online. So eco-modernism, if you don't know, is an environmental philosophy which argues that humans should strive to protect nature and improve human well-being by developing and deploying technologies that decouple human development from environmental impacts. As always, if you enjoy this content, please hit like. Uh, I'd love to hear any comments you have about the content, uh, and please share it with your friends as well. So let's move on to the heart of the program, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Gabriel Ignetti. Gabriel Ignetti is a longtime environmental activist. He has served on the board of Environmental Group 350 South Florida for many years and is well-respected in spite of his pro-nuclear views. He started the Eco-Modernist podcast in 2017 along with Rick Maltese, where he has interviewed many award-winning people in the fields of science, academia, literature, and cinema. He has recently started the Eco-Modernist channel on YouTube. Gabe, welcome to The Rational View. How you doing, Al? Very good, thank you. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Hope it's still warm down there in Florida. Too much. <laughs> it's starting to feel like fall weather up here. Uh, but getting a bit chilly. I feel like the political climate is much more comfortable up here in Canada, though. Mm. What's it like going through the run-up to the election in Florida? It's, all, it's always better in Canada. The only, thing, <laughs> the only thing I don't like about it, if the weather wasn't so bad in Canada, I'd be there with you. Let me tell you. Indeed, I, indeed. I just can't take that cold weather, man. That's why I'm in Florida. Are, are you nervous about the election? A little bit. I lost uh, my best friend to COVID. And, oh, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I guess I have to get political here, but, uh, you know, Mr. Trump, it's, I, 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 I put that on him. You wow. Know? I put that on him. And it's it's just uh, it's just crazy the denial of science that's going on. But what could I say? I think he'll I think he'll be out. I'm going to help to try to get him out. Well, well, good luck. I, I I wish you luck. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, and, and how you got to where you are? Um, yeah, I've um, I've always been an activist. Um, I'm I'm a teacher, school teacher, uh, all my life. Uh, I've been a political activist. I've been uh, involved with the teachers' union quite a bit. When uh, I retired, when I uh, came to Florida, um, climate change was getting a lot worse than I thought it would be. You know, mm. it it was like I didn't think it would be as serious as it was, which was the year two thousand. 
but then you know more evidence kept coming in and i so i started getting involved uh in climate activism and then uh the movie pandora's promise came along and that had me thinking about nuclear and you know i started uh going on nuclear groups and asked a lot of questions and you know challenged mm. them a lot because i think you got to be the devil's advocate to get to the truth. So I, I did. I always ask hard questions. I do that on my podcast as well. Uh, that's that's how you that's how you get to the truth, or as close as you can possibly get to the truth. Let's put it that way. I don't I don't know that anybody could achieve it. No, sure. I mean, it's hard to find, and no two people will agree on what it is either. Now, yeah. When you interviewed me for your podcast. I found out that the eco-modernist movement seemed to be very similar to the opinions that I'd already arrived at independently, you know, through looking at the science behind climate change and from my background and understanding the technologies that we have at our disposal to address the issues. Uh, can you provide some background for our listeners on the eco-modernist movement and how you got involved in that? Well, uh, right from the beginning, pretty much, uh, I... Uh, it intrigued me even before I got into nuclear power because, uh, you know, I'm uh, very much a free thinker and I like new approaches, especially when the old approaches are not cutting it. Mm. So, um, and let me explain to what uh, what it is. Maybe some people are not up on it. Sure, yeah, that would but, be great. Yeah, you have eco, modernism. So modernism, we all know what it is, modernity. Eco is ecology. So you bring, it's, it's a joint the two words together. And that's what the philosophy does. It, it, it also joins the two concepts together. And what we have is a, a term, which I think is purely eco-modernist, which is decoupling. And, you know, like when you decouple a train, mm -hmm. decouple two cars, well, what they're talking about, decouple man from nature by man's movement into urban environments, living vertically instead of horizontally, uh, you know, uh, not burning wood and candles, which is, uh, excuse me, CO2 intensive and, and really bad for the environment, you know, and uh, instead LEDs, nuclear power, ideally. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, we are uh, what... People would call techno-optimists in a way, though I don't like the term optimists at all uh, because I'm, I'm very much of a stoic. You know, I, I, um, yeah, I feel more uh, like a realist. Yeah, a realist, and I think the word hopeful is a better mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. to, 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 be, to be because that's a thing within eco-modernism. And it's a reason why there's kind of two schools in eco-modernism as well, even though it's not really spoke about a lot. There's kind of a school that's status quo is great. Don't worry, be happy. And then there's another school that says you know, we have a challenge, climate, uh, resources and everything. And the way to, to tackle that is through the advance of science in the interests of humanity. Yeah. One of the most common criticisms I see coming from the political right against environmental conservation is that, that climate change is just a hoax. They're, 
because it's being perpetrated to destroy capitalism and and replace it with communism. You know, they're they're afraid to buy in it because it breaks down their need to have capitalism as their central tenet of their philosophy. And the eco-modernist movement is also criticized from the left because it encourages, or at least doesn't seem to discourage, increased consumption and growth and doesn't necessarily lead to communism or, or socialism or or Luddatism. <laughs> so this is at a time when most experts agree that the earth has gone well beyond a sustainable population. So, so eco-modernism doesn't necessarily say that capitalism is bad. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't need to take a position on it. It's basically looking at science and technology as a solution and it's agnostic on the politics of the approach. It's kind of agnostic on the whole, and I'll tell you why. It was meant to be that way. There's, it started with the Eco-Modernist Manifesto, and I shouldn't say the. It was deliberately called, deliberately called an Eco-Modernist Manifesto. Okay. The reason why was that they wanted to leave it open to interpretation of people. They didn't want to, you know, usually a manifesto was the, this is what it is. Now, they did mention markets, but actually, I don't even think that markets that much are controversial, even on the left. I mean, except for like real far out people. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. when you have resource scarcity, uh, you need markets to um, distribute the goods in a rational manner. And of course, you got externalities, you know, I mean, you know, like, for example, you know, uh, pollution, uh, CO2 and other greenhouse gases and you know, I could go on about that, about that. So it's not something that should be opposed on either the left or the right. And of course, you could be a libertarian and uh, be an eco-modernist. Uh, you could be a, uh, you could be to the right, you could be to the left. Yeah, I see it as, as centrist, as moderate almost. And, it, you know, it could be, it could be. I think it could be anything, really. You know, I think, you know, I could, I could be, sitting here in front of you talking about the revolution and the world, you know, and everything and call myself an eco-modernist. Or I may, or I could come, I don't know about talking about it with Trump because it's so anti-science, but I could, you know, be a, 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 I could come as a hardcore conservative and speak to you and call myself an eco-modernist too. And it wouldn't be a contradiction. So it's Indeed. kind of, it, it covers, it, it's, the partisan politics, I don't see as being a thing in there. Yeah, I see it almost as a, a bridge, potentially, between left and right. Because exactly. one of the reasons these positions are so entrenched is that they don't see a solution in the middle. Uh, and I think mainly it's because they don't want to look at nuclear. But as someone like yourself who's active in the environmental movement, you probably encounter a lot of pressure uh, being an eco-modernist and not you know, going along with the party line and picking a left or a right. I was at first, but it it dissipated, and it was really a lot of pressure. I mean, I was I was on the board of directors of um, uh, three fifty South Florida, and at the same time, they blocked me from their group page because <laughs> I defended nuclear power. Oh my goodness! And yeah, I mean, I was. Um, I, I almost felt like walking away, and and but wow. my best friend who passed, uh, he uh, took over as president, and you know he says, "Gabe, stick on. We need you because you're a good man. I don't care 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic when it comes to that. Even though, the, even though that same fella, he was in the uh, Seabrook protest as a young man. But um, he was very open. He was very open-minded. Nice. Where I get the flack is the leadership. And I, I'm talking about the national leadership. And I do bring it up with them. And it's an interesting thing because I was speaking uh, over Messenger with Zion Lights in England. And she was involved with Extinction Rebellion. And yes. when she left, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, they, the Extinction Rebellion, their uh, magazine or whatever, put a really nasty thing out, you know, just smearing her uh, because of her relation, you know, joining environmental progress. And mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. a lot of really bad stuff. And I asked her, I says, Azian, um, is the membership like that? And she said, no. And, it's, and I find the same thing, too. It's like anti-nuclear uh, power is, uh, in my experience, and not just my experience, I've spoken to pro-nuclear people who are also in the environmental movement. It's like a mile wide and an inch deep. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, I even think that pro-nuclear activists fail to harness that because a lot of climate activists they're so frightened and i think actually rightfully so i don't think the world's going to end but i think there is something to be very concerned about there and because of that they're they will tell you let's keep the plants open even like greta she says you know wrongly she don't know any better 16 years old she says oh it's dangerous but when you look at the danger of quote unquote extinction or you know sure. uh, apocalypse it's it's a big difference so you know they want to keep the uh, reactors going it and but the leadership of all of these organizations the thing is this in an organization in a political organization you need the most active people the active most active people tend to be the most closed-minded and I hate to say it, fanatical, you know? They're and convinced. They're convinced, and that, that, that being convinced is what drives them to be so active, you know, because they have the way, and they're very hardcore. But when you get down to the membership, it's not. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like a large fraction of the population over the years has lost faith in science and industry and, and even government. For various reasons, you know, pollution, oil spills, nuclear accidents, DDT, thalidomide, CFCs. Most of these issues have, you know, these are bad problems, but they've been settled and it's a safer world because of it. Few, however, are, are willing to trust anymore. They, they, they see this risk of, of new catastrophes. And now we've got the, the rise of occult beliefs and superstition and vilification of expertise as a result of this, I think. Yeah. I think it, it's kind of rolled the ball is rolled downhill and to come back to eco-modernism we got we have to regenerate that trust somehow how do we how do we convince people to come back that you know to trust science and technology again well i think the first thing is that eco-modernism needs to get away from being that status quo hooray yay thing and actually become a philosophy that speaks to the need 
for the advancement of technology and science in the defense of humanity. I think it needs to be a Star Trek vision. And I think it needs to be a force on the ground. It, it, it can't be something that is just on the Internet. I mean, in Miami, every year they have uh, no GMO protests. Mm. Eco-modernism is a chance to have a coalition in the defense of science and against the appeal to nature fallacy, which is the root of all of this. That is like anything that's natural is automatically good and what's not natural is automatically bad. It's a logical fallacy. I mean, I think we know that. But I, I mean, I think that eco-modernism offers the opportunity to have a coalition of forces that will increase our numbers and we need to do it on the ground. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I think that the climate movement, whether it's beneficial or not, I think that in itself, it brings people over to nuclear power. And it lays the groundwork for uh, believing in science as a solution. Because when you really get to talk with people, uh, this whole back to nature thing, it just falls apart. You yeah. know, the only reason why it's, it's held together is because there's this tribal echo chambers that people are in. And one thing that convinced me to that we need to break out and have our own eco-modernist movement that's involved in pro-vaccine, you know, pro-space, of course. We did a podcast on that. And, of course, pro-nuclear. Uh, was that um, I was really upset uh, about a year ago. They had a letter of from 600 environmental groups, okay? And mm-hmm. I'm going to read you a little bit of this letter, which shows how flaky the uh, environmental movement could be, even though their goals are right. Okay. And so that it states that we will vigorously oppose any legislation that promotes market-based mechanisms and technological options such as carbon and emissions trading and offsets, carbon capture and storage, nuclear power, waste to energy, and biomass. And it goes on to say, it goes on to give a narrow definition, that is, of renewable energy to exclude all combustion-based power generation, nuclear power, biomass energy, large hydro and waste to energy technologies. And this was 600 organizations, and it was some big ones, wow. even though some stood out. I mean, Talk about was, shooting yourself in the foot. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, like you're just tying your hands behind your back, you know, uh, especially since um, carbon has to be priced to account for the fact that it is an externality. Indeed. The same thing with methane, and that's why they have like a bill – that they're working on in America. I don't know if they have that in Canada, but the concept and, and what they're trying to get is a carbon fee and dividend, which is market-based, okay? Yeah, yeah and there's been that, cap and trade. Yeah, cap and trade is another one. But this over here is interesting because it puts a price on carbon, okay? And then uh, then it, it gives a f- whatever income the government gets back it returns it as a dividend to everybody, okay? And there are variations on that. Maybe the people who need it the most get more. Who knows? But that's basically the concept. 
they won't allow that. You know, hmm. uh, uh, sin fuels, burning stuff. Forget about it. I mean, there are there are houses and big apartment buildings in New York City and Chicago that they run on fuel oil. That's how they stay warm in the winter. That's how people survive. So, I mean, it'd be a blessing if they said we're going to develop synth fuels or biofuels or anything that sure, sure. does that. I mean, it's just so ridiculous, you know? Hmm. We, that's yeah. why we need to have our own voice. You need to build bridges. You have to, to yeah. Yeah. bridge the divide. And I see, I like eco-modernism because it does that. There's nothing that the right can't uh, accept and there's nothing that the left can't accept if they would, you know, look at it without the blinkers on of the leaders. And the leaders, I think, must be incentivized to be ex super extreme to some extent. It helps them build up a following. Yeah, yeah, especially in the United States. Uh, I don't know how the system's set up, but we are set up that kind of way. Gerrymandering, what they call Republican district, oh, Democrat God. district, and, you know, you got to be a true believer. I see you're a Facebook co-admin for the renewable versus nuclear debate group which uh, which i joined uh mm -hmm. this discussion group has almost two thousand members so it's it's really big and i found it's been a great forum for me to learn about the key issues on our path to eliminate fossil fuels but there's also lots of controversy here and a lot of fighting my biggest concern is that we shouldn't be squabbling amongst ourselves we should really be working together to eliminate fossil fuels why were you motivated to create this group well I originally uh, created this group because I went on Twitter and I, you know, was promoting the podcast and people were challenging me. And I, if it's the last thing I ever want to do is to have a back and forth on Twitter about very complex issues. Hmm. So I said, what the hell? I said, let me start, because this has happened a lot. So I said, let me just start a group that will deal with that so i have a place for those that i could send those people to <laughs> and it became I, I caught a lot of heat for it because unfortunately i mean there's a lot of my my, my own people you know the pro-nuclear people i did a lot of them is very tribal <laughs> just, just as much if not more <laughs> so than the other side which you know and it, it they really don't need to be actually because the the uh, evidence is on our side but I caught a lot of heat. I even I even lost some friends over it, but it's been very successful, and I think it's it, it does get heated. Them. Yeah, it does get heated, and I uh, I'm the fireman, you know. Yeah, but it does seem that nuclear tends to be the uh, dominant. Uh, the pro nuclear seems to be dominant in this debate. Yeah. When when people get down to the facts and get past the name calling, yes. there seem to be more more depth to the arguments. Yes, yes. I just wish people did less name calling. You yeah, know, I, agree. Uh, you know, everybody has it happen to them on Facebook or and it's social media. But my whole attitude about it is, is that anytime somebody starts hurling expletives and ad hominems at you, you won the argument as long as you keep you cool. Yeah, so, yeah. First one to call names loses. Yeah, they're making themselves look bad. And if you and if you have the better argument, that's all the reason why you should not resort to that. Yeah, I mean, 
we often see people coming from the, the environmental groups and saying that we're going to do this all with renewables and we don't need nuclear and we're going to have magical batteries or, or whatever they have to get rid of the, the oscillation and the, and the renewable power is going to save us. But, I mean, I tend to see this whole situation as we need, to, we need as much as we can to displace fossil fuels and we shouldn't be cutting our hands off and getting rid of our best tools to do that. Yeah. I, I could see a place for renewables in, in a lot of situations, but the job will mostly need to be done with nuclear. But at the same time, I think our pro-nuclear friends need to realize that even if tomorrow that we were that the, all the government leaders and all the people who were anti-nuke just had an epiphany and we said, let's go for a full bore, there would be... It would be very difficult because there's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of a, bit, a knowledge base that has to be grown. You know, there's, it's not, it's not, you can't snap your finger and just say, oh, we're, build, we're just building everything. So, I mean, and you already have renewable infrastructure built out. So if, it could make sense in certain circumstances at the same time. I mean, that's my way of looking at it. I'm very much a pragmatist. Yeah, the nuclear scene is very expensive um, yeah. to build because, you know, we, we've basically stopped building them 20, 30 years ago. The, the 70s and 80s was when these most of the nuclear infrastructure in the West, at least, uh, was built. And so we've we've lost those capabilities and, and everything is, is a new design now that has a lot of inertia to get going. And so we haven't got to the point where we can build cookie cutter nuclear reactors yet. Uh, to bring the cost down, like they're doing with solar and wind, for example. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that'll change. You know, Joe, Joe Biden, by the way, um, he's for nuclear. You know, he said it in his uh, in his plan. I hope uh, I hope he, he he seems to be a pragmatist, very much a pragmatist, and he wants to spend like two trillion dollars on the climate. I mean, God bless him if he could do it. Uh, but you know, if if he's the type of person who will listen to the scientists more than to Bill McKibben, <laughs> you know, you, you might have something there. Yeah, I, I like to see this whole situation as an analogy to the Lord of the Rings because I'm a big fan. But, you know, fossil fuels represent the ring of power. It's a tempting tool that eventually destroys you. Uh, yeah. and environmentalists and scientists are the fellowship of the ring and we are, we're tasked with throwing this into the into Mount Doom and getting rid of it and going forward in a sustainable manner but instead we're all squabbling and fighting and <laughs> yeah no I know what could you say I mean there are a lot of people who like on all sides like of course very tribal and that's natural because you know, being accepted, being part of the tribe and, you know, following the alpha male in, in Neolithic times was a necessity. So we have to evolve. We have to evolve and you have to have more and more people who recognize that differences of opinion should not be something that should be suppressed. It should, be, it should not cause divisions. It should be a font of learning and wisdom. Yeah, you need to have the sort of discussions, the respectful discussions, and we yeah. just don't have that in the internet. There, there's trolls, and there's, you know, it's it's a faceless medium, and and you can say what you want with impunity. Yes, yes, and you know what? I saw there's a 
good uh, documentary. It's called, I think, The Social Dilemma. I saw it on Netflix. And I watched that it, last night. Oh, you saw it last night. Do you remember? Now, you, you can relate to this. You remember the part when they said Pizzagate? Yeah. And how that uh, there were people who were actually buying time with Facebook that was focused on people who would fall for Pizzagate. Yeah, yeah, they can target the people that are that have the appropriate conspiratorial mindset and and place these seeds in them because they get it gets clicks and the AIs behind the social media engine, uh, the artificial intelligences are able to to identify that you know they know enough about these people they know what you're going to click on and they can just feed you things to make you click and they can take you down this rabbit hole of of crazy. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I've. Someone told me, a very knowledgeable person who studies this too, uh, we did this on a podcast, uh, uh, and he, we were talking about the war on science, and he said that Google will actually know what you believe in, and if you're looking to Google stuff up, it will, throw, it will immediately bring up things that you believe in for data. Yeah, on the show uh, last night, they said, you know, if you type in climate change is and Google gives you a bunch of choices, it's going to depend on uh, where you live and your preferences. You know, it's going to if you're in in the Midwest, it's going to say climate change is a hoax. Climate change is a liberal plot. And if you're in a city, it's going to tell you climate change is destroying the world. Climate change is, you know, is horrible. And it, it's just because this is what gets you to click. Yeah, I tell you that Pizzagate thing was. I, I was I was cracking up. You know, I mean, I mean, it was scary when it happened. Nobody got hurt, but when that guy went shooting up the place because of the kids in the basement, that we were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just cracking up. It was just so ridiculous. I mean, there's nutters on all sides. Let's face it, and these oh, people yeah. are going to get sucked in if 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 cooler heads don't prevail in the center, and that that's why I'm in this because we need to have the smart people talking and there's smart people on both sides of the issue. It's not that yeah. people are stupid. It seems to me that nuclear due to its higher power density has the potential to solve all our problems in the climate issues with minimal mining, minimal environmental damage. It stores its waste on site, doesn't emit CO2, takes up only a small physical area. It's reliable. It's available 24 seven. And yet it's also seen as a deadly hazard by the public, despite being the safest of all the power sources. You nailed it. Coal and natural gas burning are killing tens of thousands of people per year, yet people don't complain. The, how did we get to have this double standard in society? I think that it's very deliberate. Because the fossil fuel industry, and you could go back and I might sound conspiratorial, but there are such things as conspiracies, actually. A conspiracy theory, by the way, is a theory. But a conspiracy is true if you could document it. And this is true. The Sierra Club, back way back, I think it was in the 1960s, uh, they had, uh, or it might be in the 1970s, they had a uh, program that they wanted to eliminate dams or stop the building of dams. And they, had, they were saying, you know, this was their slogan was, Adams, not dams. And there was an element within the Sierra Club that broke away. Friends of the Earth, which we know now was formed. 
that was formed with a half a million dollars from the CEO of Arco Petroleum. When the Shoreham protests, which caused the uh, reactor there, which was, wasn't even started, I don't believe, as far as it was built already, but it wasn't started. It caused that thing to just be shut down when it was ready to go. Billions were lost. And I mean, and investors just fled from mm. nuclear power at that time. But that was also funded by the Oil Heat Institute, which put big ads, full page ads in the papers out there saying, renewables will save us. We don't need nuclear power. It's dangerous stuff. Jeez. And I mean, I could go on and on. You know, there is um, there is a connection there. Just the, just the same way there's a connection between the fossil fuel industry and climate denialism. It's, it's the same kind of anti-science for the purpose of maintaining corporate power. Hmm. Yeah, and looking at the so-called dangers of nuclear as the, as the safest power source out there, the the Chernobyl accident, they had to they had to evacuate a large area to prevent radiation damage to the populace and I don't know how many thousands or tens of thousands of people were evacuated. But if you compare this to something that people don't blink much of an eye about the dams for example yeah if you look at the the, the yangtze dam in china it displaced 1.2 million people and only gave you four times as much power as the chernobyl reactor so mm. it's, it's 10 times more people were displaced and only four times more power yes and a lot of more ecological but nobody complains about the dangers of dams right very dangerous the baku dam uh also in china uh, over 170,000 people killed, and I think it was millions of people who were displaced when that thing busted. And yeah. that same dam that you're talking about, they're saying now that uh, they're finding that it's, the construction was a little bit shoddy from what I've read. Yeah, they had a lot of flooding lately, and they're worried that it might collapse, which would be a horrible disaster. And I'm not, I'm not arguing against... Hydroelectricity. I think hydroelectricity is a great power source, and it's safe and environmentally friendly and low CO two. I'm just trying to make an analogy here, so don't yeah. don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm saying nuclear is not that bad. Yeah, but you know what? They would have been better off taking that money and building nuclear power. But then again, that's like Monday morning quarterbacking in a way, because just the way I was talking about renewables, their leadership is also thinking the same way a lot. So they might be maxing out their ability to build nuclear. So then they built that dam, and they also, uh, in the Gobi Desert, they have a, they're building a gigantic solar array, which doesn't really have that intermittency problem. Though they need to be cleaned with water and stuff, so it's not easy. So, mm. you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to clean up the environment because it's horrible in China. It's been horrible in China. Yeah, the pollution is really a big problem, and thousands of people are dying all the time from the from the coal burning, uh, and it's it's definitely needs to be addressed. I mean, yeah, as you say, China is doing a good job in building lots of nuclear. Uh, they're building lots of renewables. They're just building as much as they can because the they're a huge manufacturing center. 
um, and there are other countries that are building nuclear too. South Korea, I think, was building nuclear. There's some Arabian uh, nuclear plants going up now. So there are countries. Russia is continuing to build new nuclear plants. Yeah, they might be the most advanced. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Russians. In in Europe, they're they're shutting down nuclear. Germany is 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 just opposed to nuclear. They they had this big public backlash after the Fukushima. Uh, event and now they're they're shutting down nuclear plants and and building more coal plants. Yeah, well, it's all this uh, this thing that they look at radiation as being some kind of extraterrestrial or uh, kind of crazy human created thing. But the uh, Earth is a gigantic decaying nuclear furnace. We were. We evolved in an even more radioactive planet. And, of course, the sun is a big radioactive furnace as well. So we're bathed in nuclear in uh, radiation. It's ubiquitous. Indeed. And, and the stuff from nuclear power is much lower than the background that we get naturally from our surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like the Japanese, I mean, now that they've kind of backed away from nuclear, now they're building 22 coal plants. And think about all the mercury in the ocean. Forget about the radiation. Mercury. Worry about mercury. Yeah, indeed. Oh, this is uh, this has been good. Um, I enjoy yeah. this this discussion. So, before we close up, can you give our listeners a plug for your Eco Modernist podcast? Yeah. Well, we um, we were the first podcast that made eco modernism popular or at least to the extent that I was able to. And uh, we've had a lot of famous people on it, the uh, Hall of Fame astronaut, Dr. Franklin Chang Diaz, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, winning author, Richard Rhodes. I mean, we have some very interesting subjects. It's not all about nuclear power. I try to actually make it about half of it about nuclear power because I, I don't want to preach to the choir. The last podcast we did was Spaces Open for Business with you as yeah. my co-host, which uh, and thank you again. Uh, and uh, of course, again, to me, that's part of eco-modernism too, because people think that space is a diversion from the needs of planet Earth and dealing with it, and that never that was never true. So that's just another false thing that's been brought out against science. But that's our thing, you know, to to teach the world that there's a better way let's put it that way and and that modernism is our only hope you're preaching to the choir game <laughs> <laughs> what what platforms are you on with your podcast well um i think it's mainly itunes and spotify then we have a youtube channel i i do a thing called uh, a couple of shows i do and i want to expand the channel too uh, called the Progressive Eco Modernist and the uh, Eco Modernist Soapbox, which is uh, a little more casual than my podcasts, but it, we still have good people on. And, and sometimes I just rant, like <laughs> I did today. <laughs> oh, that's good. good. Yeah. Well, well, thanks very much for coming on the coming on the show today, Gabe. Uh, really appreciate talking to you. It's been a lot of fun, and good luck with the upcoming U.S. election. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for sticking around and listening. 
This is Dr. Al Scott signing off from The Rational View. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please consider visiting my patron page and becoming a patron of this podcast at patron.podbean.com slash the rational view.